You are listening to Uncommentary, the home of conversations and clarity. Recently named one of Christianity Today's 12 podcasts you don't want to miss, 2021, I'm your host, Marty Duran. I want to talk to you for a minute about my buddy Sam Morris and his leather work. He made me a cool leather journal cover. I use a Loistrom uh, 1917 journal for most of my journaling and my time management, productivity issues, all that kind of stuff, and uh, carries my pencils and a field notes little pad, uh, and he did a fantastic job. He got his start making uh, pastoral or teaching note cover, uh, notebooks, so they're made out of leather. Uh, pastors use them for their preaching notes. Professors use them for their teaching notes, uh, and these things are high quality, and they look fantastic. Now, here's the deal. You can only get him on Twitter. It's at Sam Morris eight at S A M O R R I S numeral eight at Sam Morris eight on Twitter. Hit him up. He'll get in contact with you there and give you a quote. Uh, and you will not be disappointed in your leather work from Sam. Hey everybody, this is Marty again, and I'm going to do a little different tonight. I'm actually in a hotel recording in a totally different kind of an environment using different tools. Um, but this episode I think is going to be really encouraging to everyone. And, uh, Kurt Ritima was gracious enough to, uh, to join me on really short notice. So if that name sounds a little familiar or you think, where have I seen that name before? Uh, if you hang out on Twitter very much, he had a, a thread that he did. Uh, I'm going to call it on kingdom economics for, and you can change that if you use a different term. Um, where he uh, played off of the widely circulated uh, excerpt uh, of Dave Ramsey talking about market rates and rental properties. And Kurt retweeted that with a, a long uh, kind of a elaboration about how he views kingdom economics and what, uh, how he believes Christians and Christian investors specifically should deal with um, people that they're helping uh, so he was gracious enough to be able to jump on, like on really short notice. So Kurt Ritima, welcome to Uncommentary. Yeah, thanks for having me. So since you are now uh, Twitter known but not really known, why don't you uh, why don't you start off by just telling everybody a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I am um, Kurt Ritima. I live in the Argentine neighborhood of Kansas City, Kansas. It's a under-resourced neighborhood, a lot of immigrants, many undocumented immigrants. Um, and my wife and I moved here probably about mm, 12 years ago. And um, if you're familiar with the Christian Community Development Association, we've been really shaped by that philosophy of ministry, um, trying to see what heaven on earth looks like and see God's shalom and God's reign um, come into under-resourced neighborhoods and um, not only for others, but also for ourselves. And so we have three boys, um, 12, 10, and eight. So Very cool. Now you're, uh, I'm not great with accents, but you sound a little bit Wisconsin-ish or something. Iowa. I hail Iowa. from Northwest Iowa. Yeah. Sioux okay. Center, Iowa. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Well, let's start off with um, kind of how you and I got connected, which was on Twitter. Um, so Kurt and I don't know each other and we're just, we're on Zoom seeing each other <laughs> for the first time. 
Um, but your thread, uh, there was a couple of things about it that caught my attention. First, you did a really good job of laying out a biblical idea of a kingdom economic approach, uh, what it meant to love our neighbors financially um, and, and how we should view our own possessions. And it reminded me of a book that um, uh, the King Jesus Economy, I think is the name of it. Um, I should know because I interviewed the author and he's going to shoot me for not remembering <laughs> any of it. That's right. Uh, but anyway, it reminded me of that idea where, where you may or may not, but we may or may not be directly applying Old Testament law, but we are certainly applying the principle of love that was drawn from the Old Testament. And there's a lot of stuff yeah. that we can apply. So yeah. why don't you first walk us through a little bit about the ideas that you were espoused or that you were teaching us uh, on Twitter, and then we can go from there. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that, you, that uh, yeah, I was drawing off of Old Testament passages um, with that. Um, I think, I think first and foremost, uh, when, when, uh, in, in, um, in Ephesians, when Ephesians two, when God is creating a new kind of household and that we have once been foreigners and strangers, but we are now all a part of this and we are brothers and sisters and, and, and that God was creating one humanity out of that is that I think my most fundamental theological assertion is that we are children of God. And because we are children of God, that uh, every one of us strangers are our siblings and that mm -hmm. they are our brother and sister, brother and sister. And um, when I understand myself and my own role as a father, and I look at every one of my kids, I can't imagine uh, me giving Luke absolutely everything and Perkins maybe a little bit and Leo absolutely nothing. It, it's just inconceivable <laughs> for me to do that. Like I want every one of my kids to have enough mm -hmm. and there's more than enough in my household. And when we look at that and we think of the abundance of God's creation and that there is enough for every one of God's kids, uh, something is wrong that, that poverty is something that we created. It's not just this natural state that's there. Mm -hmm. It is this, uh, this um, unequal dispersion of, of resources. Um, and that ethic was all throughout Hebrew scriptures as, as well. I mean, when we go back to... Um, when we go back to the desert and God calling Israel out of Egypt, and they had just come from this place of empire, they come from this place where they're where they're enslaved, and everything was taken from them, and um, and then they go out into the desert, and that giving of manna, uh, it was reteaching and retraining Israel what it meant uh, to be human and to be mm. to be children of of God, and so that. They, they weren't to hoard as they saw the Egyptians doing um, because it was going to spoil the next day, but it was yeah. just to take enough. And that dynamic of scarcity and abundance um, while Pharaoh has, has uh, come and gone um, is very alive and active today. And I think that that fear of scarcity is something that's even more amplified uh, right now in, in one of the wealthiest um, countries in all of human history. And so what does that mean for us then? Is that, is that partially because, uh, the idea that even though we're the wealthiest, um, people in human history 
and we still feel there's a scarcity, even those of us who have. So yeah. I would buy almost any, my family would be, would be almost by any definition, middle class. Um, we're not, yeah, right. we're not wealthy. We're not poor. We're, I mean, we're right smack in the middle. Yeah. Um, and yet, and I know having been in different countries around the world that by any measure against them, we are yeah. wealthy. Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, I have tried to reconcile and had to pray through and deal with uh, yeah. how much do, how much do we keep? How much do we give? How much do we, you know, those kinds of things. So, um, but you applied that in a way uh, mm-hmm. on Twitter, as you were discussing this, that really went beyond simply saying, I, I, I need to tithe or I need to make sure that I send a love offering to somebody. You were, you were really talking about how do I use my daily income? How do I use my yeah. daily wealth yeah. to help people who are either a less fortunate than me or at the same place as me, but need some help for some reason. Talk yeah. about, walk us through how you apply that uh, as you exemplified in that Twitter thread. Yeah. And specifically with housing. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think like I'm with you, Marty. I mean, um, our, our income, our household income is probably less than most of your listeners. Um, and it's all it, like, to be honest, it's probably very similar to a lot of our neighbors who are working class uh, folks. Um, but they have an economic drag uh, with them that I, I certainly don't have. You know, they're supporting, they're sending half their paychecks to, to Mexico to be able to support family down there and, and um, trying to do all that uh, at the same time that they're trying to pay rent as well. Right. And, you know, so we honestly, we never, we never set out and saying, Hey, we're going to start uh, a housing ministry in our neighborhood. We set we set out to say, what does it mean to be attentive to loving our neighbor? Um, and throughout that um, we, we stumbled into housing. So okay. it was responding to their needs. Um, my neighbor Pureza was watching our son Luke while my wife was still uh, working as a school teacher. And one day we, we had been in the neighborhood probably for about a, a year, maybe a couple of years, and they had been great neighbors. And um, they, they told us one day, hey, we're probably going to be moving out. We've been paying way too much in rent. Um, there's 14 people living in this house. Wow. Uh, we need to go somewhere more affordable. And I just said, have you ever tried to, to purchase this house? They said, yeah, uh, we tried a couple of years ago. Um, and the owner wanted $90,000 for it, which at the time was, was a lot of money. Yeah. So this was just right at the right 2009 as, as the housing was crashing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I said, well, let me do a little bit of investigation. And I call up the property manager and I said, Hey, you know, we're, interested in helping this family purchase this home. And so they, they, I said, do you think the owner's interested in selling it? And they said, sure. You know, this house is owned by this conglomerate out of Waco, Texas that owns thousands of properties all across the country. Wow. Um, you know, they don't know that they own it, except they're getting the, it's on their spreadsheets. Right. right? <laughs> and they, and she said, what do you think the, the house is worth? And I kind of lowballed and I said, probably 35,000. She called me. Ex- she called me up the next Monday and said the seller accepted your offer of thirty five thousand. Wow. wow! And I'm like, oh dang, I don't have thirty five thousand. And so, Lord, I really uh, wasn't expecting you to answer that prayer that fast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 
long story short, we looked at we looked at going down the bank route. The interest rates were pretty high, and I said, well, you know. I know a lot of friends who wouldn't mind getting 7% on this money mm-hmm. um, in this market. And I emailed some people in, in uh, my church and within a week we had 35,000. Wow. And it cut their monthly payments in half. Mm-hmm. Um, they were on track to become homeowners. Uh, their contractors. So they immediately started fixing up their home. We knew we had stable neighbors that were always mm-hmm. going to be there. Um, and it benefited our ministry just overall. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was a win-win all the way around for, for our investors, for myself, for our neighbors. And we're like, well, that worked pretty well. Well, next door to them, there's a drug dealer living in that house. He knew it was going into foreclosure. And he said, yeah, I'm going to buy this once it uh, goes into foreclosure. And I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> uh, the first day I went on the market, I called up a realtor and, and we purchased that house for like $14,000. Wow. And the house next door to us went into foreclosure. We got that one, another rental house. We moved somebody out of that one across the street from us. Uh, we got somebody into that one. So just all around us, we, we just said, well, here's an opportune moment that, that we have a little access to capital through our networks. Mm-hmm. Let's do this, but let's do this for um, people that need to build the wealth more mm-hmm. than anything, because that's what's happening around uh, neighborhoods, urban neighborhoods like mine all across the country is there's the gentrification happening mm-hmm. um, and uh, the wealth is being put in the pockets of, of people like me rather than uh, the, those who have been working just as hard as all of us. So now there's a, there's a dynamic here. Um, and then I want to read one of your things and ask you to, to comment on sure. it. Um, there's a dynamic here that you moved into a neighborhood that mm-hmm. is, um, uh, I'll just say it's, it's, uh, economically unstable. Let me say it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you've already mentioned the comings and goings and rental properties and things not being kept up. And so everybody would yeah. have an idea in their mind about what that kind of a neighborhood would be like, but you moved yeah. into that neighborhood as opposed yeah. to say staying in the suburbs and right. doing it long distance. So that brings up yeah. a, a point in that th- there will be an awful lot of people listening to this that might think to themselves, okay, well, that sounds like a really great idea, but the houses around me don't sell for $35,000. You you can't get my neighbor's house for $14,000. So um, is there, is there a little bit of a dynamic where some, some of us who are suburbanites Mm -hmm. have kind of boxed ourselves out of an ability to live this way? Um, mm-hmm. because it takes so much of our own income just to, just to stay afloat ourselves. Yeah, I think in some ways, uh, there is truth to it. I mean, there's multiple reasons of why we moved, uh, to our neighborhood. Part of it was we spent five years in Mexico, um, and God messed us up, uh, mm-hmm. in the very best ways possible. Sure. Um, and part of it was, you know, I don't think God has for us to, to continually be on this path of upward mobility that, that we found something about this downward mobility of Christ um, that we especially see exemplified in Philippians two. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so, so that was part of it, but I think all also part of it was like, we do like the, the financial um, flexibility that comes along with it. And mm-hmm. 
Um, I think the other thing that I see, uh, because there's many, many of our neighbors are like, why did you move here? We all, we all want to move to Olathe. <laughs> we want to move to the suburbs. And we're like, yeah, you know, we, we've been around um, that before. And uh, I think people are just as lonely and are just as desperate for community as anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, and we actually feel like uh this place offers us the the, the kind of richness of community um, mm. and a real kind of front porch culture that other neighborhoods don't have. Um, and I think that that's been something that we've had to, to you know, catch ourselves is that uh, we can um, unwittingly become the Joneses that they're trying to keep up, you know, that yeah. other people are trying yeah. to keep up with. Because the reality is, is uh, so many of our neighbors are so much more generous with their time and availability mm-hmm. than we are. Um, and, and that's why I say, um, you know, the, the generosity and hospitality that, that we've uh, shown to others has just been dwarfed by the generosity and hospitality that our neighbors have shown us. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, we extend God's kingdom here, but equally um, we feel that our neighbors show us the gospel. They mm-hmm. show us the good news. Hey, folks, you're listening to Uncommentary. My guest today is Kurt Ritima, and uh, I want to remind you that you can support this effort by going to my Patreon. It's patreon.com slash uncommentary. That's U-N-C-O-M-M-O-N-T-A-R-Y. And if you're a longtime listener, I want to encourage you, if you can, to grab up one of those 2 or $3 a month sponsorship slots because they are going to go away as soon as uh, it reaches just a few more, each one of those will be closed. So if you've been holding off, and but you really want to do the cheap side, here's your opportunity to do that. Uh, after, uh, after Probably after February, the minimum will be about five bucks a month instead of two. So look into that. Uh, it's, a, it's a little bit. I'm also going to open up the annual sponsorship amount. So if you've been hanging out thinking, I just don't want this money coming out of my paycheck or coming out of my checking account every month then you'll be able to give a one-time deal that'll last you for the whole year. And I think there's like a 5% discount or something if you do it that way. So that's uh, patreon.com slash uncommentary. So Kurt, one of your, um, one of your tweets, I think it was in the thread three days ago, said this, what was true for Israel is true for us today. If my financial peace depends upon the financial impoverishment of another, it's not Christ's peace. And while there was a lot of great stuff in that thread, I really felt like the heart of everything that you were saying was like encapsulated in that one short mm-hmm. sentence. Mm-hmm. How, how did you take us a little bit through the, the spiritual growth process that got you to that place? Were you like, was this like your family raised you in this type of theology and you just kind of grew up understanding that this is how it worked? Or did you have like a Damascus Road moment where God said, dude, <laughs> you have got it all wrong? Yeah, um, I grew up in Northwest Iowa in, in, Sioux, Centre, in Sioux Center, um, Dutch Reform kind of community. Um, like this was really part of the Kuyperian theology mm-hmm. that was embedded in, in um, my childhood and growing up. And growing up in small town Iowa, I think that there very much was this sense of we are um, caring for one another, that we look out for one another, that we support one another, that we patron uh, each other's businesses mm-hmm. and all of that. Um, and so I think a lot of that small town ethic, but also the theology that was born there um, 
uh, was also something that I took here to our neighborhood. Um, so I look back very fondly of, of that place. Um, I think ironically, uh, over the past 15 years that, that um, some, uh, that, that we've actually, my hometown has kind of left some of its reformed roots um, and has just gone for a more banal kind of um, evangelicalism, sadly. Um, I still love it, love the people and places and, and everything that I've learned there. Um, so that was very much of, of something that I brought here. Uh, but, but as I said, uh, going to Mexico seriously rattled us um, because, uh, you know, there we were dealing with people with all kinds of needs all the time. And in college, uh, I was more... Uh, embedded in, uh, you know, kind of non-denominational evangelicalism um, that I think was good for my faith. It was necessary to be part of my faith. Um, but I think that that idea of a gospel that only had good news for the afterlife and didn't have real good news for the here and now, mm -hmm. very quickly, uh, I found out in Mexico that this wasn't going to work. <laughs> that it's not good. It's not good enough news if it's also not speaking um, to their here and now. Um, so God's got to love uh, our bodies as well as our souls if it's going to mm -hmm. be really good news. So that was all part of it. And then um, slowly just learning everything as we as we're here in in our neighborhood. Um, so yeah. So uh, something you said um, and before uh, I went to the little break part, and then you kind of alluded to it here is, is mm -hmm. this idea of community in your neighborhood. Yep. So, you know, it, it's been, I don't know what, 10 years, 15 years, I guess, that there's been kind of this re uh, emergence of the need of community, primarily in evangelicalism mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. driven largely, I think, by the disconnectedness that so many suburbanites feel. I mean, we have been talking about the, the phenomenon of people driving up in their driveway, going into their garage and yep. shutting the door yep. before they ever get out of the car. And you never see yep. anybody except yep. on the weekend when they cut grass and they rush back in to take a shower. So we've been mm -hmm. talking about that component of things for, for, I mean, literally for 15 years at least. Mm -hmm. um, but what the, 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 where you live mm -hmm. neighborhood is, is community. It's not yeah. just a sign on the front as you come in to, mm -hmm. you know, Fred's Fred's farms or whatever. Yeah. Um, it, it's the it's the way that people relate to each other. So you don't have yeah. to create what we in the suburbs and probably in a lot of urban contexts too mm -hmm. are trying to, especially I'm thinking like downtown, like downtown New York. Sure. centers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where people are isolated and separated. You don't right. have to try to create community out of thin air. Community comes mm -hmm. with where you live. So mm -hmm. is there is there a way that we in suburbia are ever going to get there? Or is, are we ever going to be uh, trying to create community out of a theology of land that is against community? I mean, yeah, that's a great question there. I, I love that last piece that you, that you said there. Um, certainly, yes, it's absolutely possible. You're just swimming upstream. Yeah. Uh, you're swimming upstream, and I think it's going to be a lot harder um, than it is. And hey, let's not romanticize where I live either. You know, when my wife and I moved here, um, no one on our street knew one another. Mm -hmm. Like that, it required uh, intentional investments in creating that neighborhood. 
and creating that community. I mean, so we were doing old school, knock on doors, here's a plate of brownies. We, we plundered the church community garden after everybody had, had, you know, abandoned their plots in August and September when the harvest is actually best. And we went around knocking on doors and people were like, hey, this is kind of cool, super weird, but kind of cool. You know, and so we would invite them over to our birthday parties. We get invited back to their birthday parties. They get to know one another. And, you know, all of a sudden we have like people know each other and they're starting to trust one another. And then you add on those other layers of I'm not just a renter. I'm an owner and I'm going to be here. This is my place. Uh, you don't have that constant turnover. Um, so certainly it can be done in the suburbs. You can do those. Like, I think that that's the weird kind of thing that that. uh we realized is it actually didn't take a whole lot of investment for us to make those initial uh, relationships within our neighborhood. Um, and the dividends for that keep on paying out mm. just years and years later. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think it's very possible to do the burbs. What, um, what do you think is, um, the most significant thing you, um, you mentioned the every man having his own vine and fig tree, mm-hmm. which is, it's interesting that you bring that out because that's really common in culture now, but it's not because of the Bible. It's because of Hamilton, <laughs> Hamilton, that's you know, but, yeah. uh, but I think about George Washington singing that song in that, in that mm-hmm. musical. Mm-hmm. And it really is. That's what he was asking for. Get me out of the war. Get me out yeah. of the presidency. Yeah. Just get yeah. me back to Mount Vernon where I can rest. So you draw that analogy again. Is mm-hmm. that kind of the uh, the C.S. Lewis esque longing for home, um, but in a way that we can help people find some of that? Um, go a little bit more into that. Finding home so, in what sense? Yeah, and so Lewis's thing was if if we can't find satisfaction here, the most mm-hmm. uh, likely reason is we were made for another place. Mm-hmm. So if we're working to help every person experience their own vine and fig tree, their, their shalom here in mm-hmm. this world, are we then not kind of giving them a taste of this other place that is e- the eternal representation of what we're trying to experience some of here on earth? Yeah. I mean, um, I think, I think our eschatological imagination is truly important here as well. And so if we have this Revelation 21 vision that the new Jerusalem is coming down out of heaven and God's dwelling place will be here among the people, um, that means that what happens here on this earth matters and what we do with this earth matters, that it's not all just going to be, you know, going away in this ball of flames that that we have. So uh, I think that we need to claim this actually as our home in that sense. Um, and that God has invited and called the people to be agents of redemption and restoration along with God. And so, um, yeah, I, I think that, I think that that was what Israel was longing for when they're, when they're in exile, just like, you know, they've been beat around so much and, you know, in our neighborhood, particularly we have immigrants that have been, you know, hustled and moved around everywhere Mm -hmm. and and part of it is like we we get to be able to have uh, a a part in finding them a real home and finding real peace that that comes as a part of it um so 
Yeah, I think I think that that is uh, a, a, an embodiment of the gospel. I'm glad you brought up the eschatological longing part because of long. So for many many years, I was a, a pre-tribulation, pre-millennial, mm-hmm. every, pre-everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I sure. used to joke, I was so pre, I didn't even eat post toasties. Um, <laughs> and I think, and I think what has happened a little bit is I still think that a person can hold that position. I don't, I'm not, don't sure. think I hold sure. it anymore. Sure. Yeah. I still think a person can hold that position and not mm-hmm. be like, I'm just waiting for God to flame throw everything, you know? Right. Right. Um, as I studied those <laughs> texts and realized that some of those verse, some of those words actually meant renovation rather than demolition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that God did not have to destroy everything to make it new. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have, I mean, at that point in my studies, I didn't have to jettison premillennialism. I just mm-hmm. had to realize, Hey, there's a way to witness to what God is going to do by the way that yeah. I live now, yeah. by the way that I take care of my yard or by the way that I don't throw you know mm-hmm. trash on the ground, those kinds of things. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not being super um, environmentalist that way. I'm mm-hmm. just witnessing to the fact that, Hey, God has a plan for this place and maybe I should be mm-hmm. paying attention to what's going on here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that um, that God has created a wonderful, beautiful, abundant, and sacred creation, and that when human beings are made in the image of God, um, that there's something that is sacred. You know, I, C.S. Lewis said that he talked about the holiest thing outside of the holy sacrament is is you know is is a person, yeah. um, and. And, and so I think that we need to treat that seriously. I think that we need to treat the, the sacredness of, and dignity of each human person um, seriously. And so I think, you know, that there can be, uh, that's all part of it. I think it's of a common integral kind of thread. So you could hold on to uh, different millennial kind of views. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, it's just like, does this, you know, does this have the sense of the divine? Does this have God? Um, you know, I think many people were reacting to uh, to some of the threads in the positive way in which they were, um, in a sense in which it's just like, okay, this sounds a little bit like the voice of the shepherd. Like, you know, we, we talk about that the, the sheep will know the shepherd by his voice. Mm-hmm. And, and That's good when, for- you know, when they hear it, it's just like, okay, that resonates. That sounds like who I believe that God would be in the world. That, yeah. that, there sounds like a gentleness and a goodness to it that like, I want to be a part of that. That is really good. Hey, um, before we log out, your your Twitter handle is at Pert with a K, Ritema, R-I-E-T-E-M-A. Is that right? That's right. Okay. And um, I saw that you have a blog, but I don't. you don't write there a whole <laughs> lot, do you? No, I, uh, I do, I do send out monthly updates. Um, okay. so if people are interested in doing that, you can feel free to, to DM me and I can put you on our, uh, monthly updates. Okay. Fantastic. If and, there was one, if there was one book in this vein that you would recommend everybody get and read, what would it be? Mm, this entire vein, what, what would it be? Um, the only thing that I think about with this, just as we're on the, the, the idea of eschatological imagination would be um, be surprised by hope and NT right. That okay. was something I was pretty catalytic in helping me form and shape some of that. Um, but in practical terms, 
Like, I think what we're doing is this is nothing. I mean, seriously, this is just a group of people coming together. Um, it was five people that lent enough money to buy a house with cash. Yeah. Uh, to go back to your previous question, um, this can be done in, in houses where we're talking in the hundreds of thousands, even two hundreds of thousands. You can still put money to loan uh, towards getting a mortgage on a house and lending it to, to someone else. That All of that can still be at play. Um, so I, I just wanted to mention that as a, as a last comment because I don't think yeah. I buttoned that up clearly enough there. So, Absolutely. Kurt, man, thanks for hanging out. Look forward to this episode dropping. Appreciate it, Marty. Thanks a lot. As always, thank you for listening to Uncommentary. If you'd like to keep up with me on Twitter, it's at Marty Duran. If you'd like to follow the podcast account, it's at Uncommentary Pod. Please rate and review. And whichever podcatcher you listen to, uh, whether it's uh, Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Podbean uh, or Overcast or CastBox, whichever one you use, uh, if you can rate and review, then that would be awesome. It just helps with search results and gives some credibility uh, to the podcast itself. Uh, and as you have an opportunity, if you would promote it, whether you uh, put the link from uncommentarypodcast.com uh, on your Facebook page, or if you tweet the link or retweet the, uh, the initial broadcast that it's live, uh, anything like that to help spread the word is always appreciated. And as always, uh, Solideo Gloria, this is Marty Duran for Uncommentary Podcast. Thank you.